G'day, I'm Ian Swain, owner of Swain Destinations, the company that customises travel experiences to Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Asia and India. And welcome to another episode of G'day with Ian Swain. Today we're heading to the Sabi Zones Game Reserve to chat with my good mate, Jack Smith, who represents the Sabi Sabi Game Reserve, located in the heart of the reserve. I've known Jack for many years now and I've met up with him in many different places, including at the camps. So welcome, Jack. I look forward to sharing your story, your stories with our audience. Hi, good. Uh, what's it? Good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning, Ian. Good to see you again. Hey, Jacques. Now, Sabi Sabi has four different camps on their large conservancy, from Earth Lodge, Little Bush Camp, Bush Lodge to Salati Camp, each offering a unique stay, which can be combinable. Can you explain the differences, please, in the size of each camp? Um, you know, I think the, the main thing for us is just maybe take a little bit step back. You know, Sabi Sabi last year celebrated our 40th anniversary. Um, you know, been around for quite quite some time and, and much like you guys, family owned. So there's a lot of heart and soul that's put into the business. Um, and on the reserve, we've got four different camps. Um, and over the years, we've purposely kept them very different. Um, and different in the style of design philosophy. So we try to cater for the different kind of guests out there. The hospitality is the same, the service is the same, the safari experience is the same. But when it comes down to the detail of the suites and the style of the camps, we try to keep them quite different. And for that, we've come up with the philosophy of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yesterday being a classic historical camp in Salati, which has got seven suites, perfect for exclusive use. Then you've got today, which is the more contemporary African style lodges in Bush Lodge, which is 25 suites, great for families. And Little Bush Camp, which has only got six suites. Again, beautiful, solid use property. And then Earth Lodge, which is our premier camp, represents the tomorrow, which is the way we see ecotourism and hospitality moving forward. Um, and this camp's got 13 suites and really is a, a unique um, experience out in the bush. That's great, Jacques. Now, with more and more families traveling, uh, it makes Sabi Sabi the perfect option for our multi-generational families. As you said, from six suites to 25 suites, depending on how big the family is as to which one is going to be best for them. Tell us, when you have an exclusive use of camps, what special surprises become available to the, to the campers when they're traveling with you? Well, I think from what I see and from, from my experience traveling, um, you know, with, with family myself, but also seeing families come through, regardless our hospitality style is, we are offering a luxury home in the bush. You know, we are a five-star establishment. We are in a wilderness environment, but we want people to be able to walk into our lodges and feel at home, kick their shoes off and literally feel at home, but still have all the, the you know, the trims and services that they expect. When you take a camp exclusively um, for sole use, you take that, take that step further and literally this becomes your home in the bush. You can determine when you want to have breakfast or whether breakfast becomes brunch, whether brunch and lunch is combined as a picnic out in the bush. You can determine when you want to go out on safari, how long you want to go out on safari. Do we bring lunches and picnics out to you while you're on safari? Um, it literally becomes a, a flexible environment. And, and what I'm seeing now post-COVID is people are coming to these camps exclusive use and literally traveling with friends they know and they're leaving the world of COVID behind them um, and literally just enjoying that bush experience with um, you know, nature 
covered around them. Talking of, of kids on safari and multi-generational families, you've got the grandparents, you've got the parents, and you've got the kids coming in and all the three different levels of people wanting different experiences. Uh, tell us your ranges. Are they prepared to look after the children when they're traveling? And, and what age do you feel is the minimum age a child should be taken on safari? Um, firstly, you know, the, the, the ranges are geared to cater for the different ages that come through. Obviously, as we go through our guides training, which is a lengthy process and our guide selection, we do immediately start um, you know, pinpointing which guides are going to be great for which kind of guests and which kind of interests. You know, so you have your bird specialists, your insects. Um, you know, you do have guides and trackers that are fantastic with kids because they, they slow things down and they, they, they speak a, a, an easier language when they're explaining the bush. Um, when it comes to multi-generation, um, you know, the guides are there to, to cater for all the different needs and the different experiences that people are after um, and you know it's, it's an easy opportunity for guys to to get to know the family dynamics and you know I think almost become part of the family um, and help the family reconnect it's something that I see is families come to the bush and reconnect they literally start leaving technology behind they 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 leave the the hustle and bustle of the the city life behind, and they literally use nature as this environment to to reconnect all three generations back again. Yeah, no, and I've noticed that when um, I travel with my my kids when they were younger, um, and then during the days, you know, Linda and I would go and have a rest in the the lunchtime area, and the rangers would take the kids out and do tracking experiences and showing them different prints on the ground and, and dung tasting, so to speak, and to learn about the different types of dung from different animals and so you can suspect it. So it's great to see that. Do they need special training for that or does it just, just come naturally, do you feel? Look, part of our training is obviously, um, you know, the detail behind the, the requirements of the qualification of being able to guide in the bush, all the technical stuff we do. Um, but a big part of our training is safari etiquette in the sense of how to treat animals, how to respect wildlife, how to read animal behavior, and very, very importantly, guest empathy. So, you know, with everything we try and do is our guides would put themselves in the guest shoes and, and try and, and see the bush through our guests' eyes. Um, at the same time, you know, if there's a family dynamic, dynamic, um, put yourself in, in their position and, um, you know, try and see how best you can enhance their experience. And just to add on to, sorry, your previous question about uh, what ages are, are suitable. I think 10 years ago, I would have told you six to eight. I now have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I'd probably say that five is the new eight years old. I think kids five, perfect to head out into the bush. They are so inquisitive. They're so keen to learn. And thanks to Disney and movies like Lion King and Madagascar, there's, there's a keen interest into the bush. And often the younger kids actually arrive in the bush knowing more about um, the safari experience and what can be expected than, than their parents do. Um, I, I would say any, any children younger still have a great time, but keep in mind attention spans are quite, um, are quite uh, small. And uh, we do insist that kids under the age of six that you book an exclusive vehicle or you obviously book one of the family villas or one of the exclusive camps um, and you can then determine your own safari hours. 
I remember the um, small books that they, the lodges would give out to the guests for the kids so they can mark off the animals they've seen and make them colouring books to give them activities to do. Because sometimes on the game drives in between areas, waiting for animals to appear can be lengthy for the kids, but it gives them something to do. Um, can you run through a typical day on the Savi Savi game reserve from getting up at morning game drive to the uh, close of business at the end of the day after the meal is finished? Yeah, I actually see a day in the bush starting at lunchtime because that's when most of our guests arrive um, that either transfer in from Cape Town's direct flight from Cape Town or even come down from Victoria Falls and basically walking to the lodges at lunchtime. Lunchtime is served out in the, in the lodge areas, beautiful open views. Um, and then after you've settled into your rooms, um, late afternoon we have high tea and just an opportunity for you to meet your ranger. And obviously each day thereafter, it's a chance just to get together with your, your fellow safari goes before you head out on safari. And then you normally head out at about 4.30 in the afternoon um, and you go and experience the bush as that day is coming to an end. Um, this is a time that the heat of the day starts, you know, leaving and uh, the coolness of the evening starts moving in. So animals start getting a little bit more active. Um, there's definitely, you know, more activity from the predator point of view. And your guides and your trackers will go out and actually physically try and find animals out on safari. The safaris are for about three to four hours, depending on what's seen out there. Um, in the evening, your safari will continue into a night drive where you'll actually then focus on the nocturnal species, um, owls, uh, genets, bush babies, and obviously the predators are, are most active at night. And then you return back to camp. We always offer the guests the opportunity to go and freshen up in their suites. Most of the time they're like, no, oh, let's just go and have a drink at the bar. Let's talk about this great safari experience or sit around the fire, share a few stories, beautiful dinner under the stars at night. Um, and then you're off to bed. The next morning, a knock on the door just before sunrise. Um, and uh, your guide will basically make sure that you're awake and uh, tell you that it's safe to walk back to, to the lodge area. And as you come through, that sun is just peeping through and uh, beautiful fresh coffee, tea, juices, pastries are waiting for you. And you head out on your morning safari. Um, morning safari, again, experiencing as the day is now heating up and the activities of the night before are subsiding and you'll get back to camp at about nine o'clock or about 8.30, depending on the time of the year. Beautiful breakfast. Believe me, I'm not one that's normally hungry in the morning, but after a full safari in the morning, those breakfasts are very welcome. And then after breakfast, we offer guests the opportunity to go out on a walking safari. And that could be anything from an hour to three hours to nine hours, depending on the level of fitness. Or guests can actually go out to the local communities and get to experience um, you know, a bit of community life um, and experience where our staff actually live and grew up in. Um, and then you're back to lunch again, and that's a full 24 hours, which we turn over every single day. Yeah, they're so exciting. And um, I've done so many different game drives in different parts of Africa, and they're all just totally unique and different. And, and you can't really put one better than the other one, but they're all great, all wonderful. I know we send a lot of honeymooners to your camps. And do they prefer, do you find they prefer one camp over another? And you mentioned before the sole-use vehicles. Are you finding that honeymooners tend to take the sole-use vehicles more so than um, other couples? 
Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, again, 10 years ago, I would have said, you know what, Salati Camp is your honeymoon destination. It's romantic. It's this and it's that. But I think I've realized that Africa in general is romantic. You know, every lodge out there is romantic. Sunsets in the bush are romantic. Being out on safari experience, surrounded by a herd of 80 elephants, and it's just you and your partner, or your, you know, your, your, your new wife or husband, um, that to me is the emotional connection. So that's why it goes back to the design philosophy of the lodges. You know, each lodge will cater to different tastes. I'll be very honest with you. Bush Lodge, being a larger camp, being a family-friendly camp, doesn't have that many honeymooners because I think people tend to rather go for the smaller, more intimate experiences. And that's why Salati and Little Bush Camp are very popular with that. Um, Earth Lodge is very popular for anybody wanting privacy. So this is from your celebrities to your honeymooners. because It's a camp that can be totally full. Um, but you'd hardly see people around just the way the lodge is designed to literally give everybody open and unspoiled views out towards the bush. If people are wanting private vehicles, we do have certain suite categories where people can book a suite and it includes an exclusive vehicle. Um, so, you know, you do get the odd honeymooner wanting the private vehicle, but I think a lot of people actually enjoy meeting up with other people while they are traveling. Um, and um, I mean, even people that have ahead of time said, you know, please keep keep these guests as private as possible. Next thing you know, they're moving tables together in the Boma and having dinner with people that they, you know, connected with over, you know, drink out to the bush somewhere. So I think there's no real um, trend when it comes to honeymooners. I think the camps that we offer, offer that privacy if you want it. It also offers the opportunity to, to meet other people if you want it. We do cater for everyone's needs. At that time after the game drive, you come back and pop up to the Boma and just get a, a gin and tonic or a beer or a glass of wine or a soda uh, is magical. And then you do get to share and make friends there as well because you've got a, a group of like-minded people with you uh, and sharing those stories from, from anywhere around the world. You touched I'm, on this. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you there. Yeah, just a big thing that is different for the honeymooners, and that's something that I probably shouldn't talk about now because it's always a surprise factor. But there will be some private dining, private picnics. We can do private spa treatments out in the bush. That happens, and that takes you away from the rest of the camp, and it takes you away from the rest of the people. So um, you might not expect it. The next thing you walk into a suite, and there's petals and bubble bath and a private dinner set up with a lovely bottle of your favorite bubbly waiting on ice. Um, those are the special moments that we, we obviously would love to cater for. Oh, they're great special moments. I've had several of those and um, everything on <laughs> just special moments like honeymoons. <laughs> I've had a couple of honeymoons. Yes. We were, my, my life, if I was talking to my wife now, our life is one big honeymoon, you know, so. But you know what, Ian, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, I mean, honeymoon is one thing. Um, and we're seeing it now, especially coming, you know, going into next year, we're going to have, we anticipate a lot of honeymooners. But it, to me, every, every opportunity out in the bush is a magical moment. Every time we can get away as a couple, it's a special moment. Um, so everyone that walks through our doors, we anticipate that this is a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Africa. And we know they'll return because that's just what Africa does to you. But um, they are literally going to be treated like they're on honeymoon, whether they are or not. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're right. The magical moments just continue on and on and on. And as I said, I've done so many different game drives and so there's so many different camps and lodges throughout Africa, and they're all just wonderful and unique. You mentioned this just slightly before about the visit to communities. And I remember when Linda and I were last at Sabi at Earth Lodge, we went and visited the Shangan community uh, close by. Um, perhaps you can just touch on a little bit more about what that experience is like. And then we always consistently get our clients asking questions, you know, should they bring something or can they bring something? And if they do bring something, what should they bring to help the villagers and the, and the kids um, continue to thrive? So again, we've got, we, we got 20, 220 staff members um, and majority of our staff all come from the nearby community, uh, communities, which is Huntington, Justitia and Lilydale. It's communities that we work closely with and have done so for the last four decades. Um, you know, in our environment, um, one salary would look after, on average, 30 dependents. So immediately tourism is a huge source of income for that environment and not just from a salary point of view, but what it means and the overflow of tourism. Obviously we see tourism as conservation. Without tourism, we can't achieve conservation. Without community involvement, we can't achieve the protection and preservation of wildlife. And um, without tourism, you won't get the community growth and, and upliftment that we're after. So our focus has always been to ensure that the community is heard and part of our discussions and that we would actually see to any needs that arise from their side. Rather than us deciding what we think would be best for them, we actually engage with them. And we've employed a full-time uh, community liaison, um, guy called Clarence McKenzie, who's the son of Fios McKenzie, one of our long-standing trackers, nephew to Lawrence McKenzie, who's our guest relations manager, uh, nephew to Lindiwe McKenzie, who's one of our head waiters at Salatis. You can, you can see there's a family trend that is within Sabi Sabi. Clarence's role is to, to discuss <clears throat> issues with the community. What are the needs? Uh, where can we help? And obviously, we try to not overlap with other lodges. You know, in, in the greater Sabi Sand area, in the greater Kruger area, there are many other lodges that do fantastic community work. So if there's already a great medical facility, then, you know, our focus might be on education. Um, you know, we do work closely with the Swavana Care Centre, which is a... It's an orphanage and care center for, for HIV-affected vulnerable youth. Then there's also the Mazignani Preschool, and then there's also the GWF Digital Learning Center, where we, through digital technology, um, teach grade four kids English and maths and basically set them up for better understanding of schooling going forward. And we also, at the same time, offer all school leaders the opportunity to decide what they want to do with their careers and what uh, they would like to do with their lives after they leave school. Um, all of this involves staff members and family of staff members in the community. So over the years, we've actually shied away of showing guests the village life. I've always been very anti setting up a cultural tour or a cultural village. And eventually just with one too many guests asking Rob Lubisi at Bush Lodge, so where do you grow up? Where do your kids go to school? You know, what kind of homes do you guys live in? Then eventually he'd say, look, you know what? I'm off this afternoon. Why don't I take you to my village? And off they go. 
Um, so we basically formalized that and we, we've offered a set structured tour where those people who have interest can pay a fee and goes towards all the projects that we are involved with. This way we get the right people out in the communities who really have a keen interest. Um, and they are taken by trackers who in their off time see this as an opportunity for them to go and share a bit of their world outside the reserve. Um, and we encourage the guys, talk politics, religion, all those no-nos that we people always tend to avoid. People should understand exactly what it is they're going into, and they should also very much understand how they as tourists and guests are part of so many solutions in the local community. Um, and yeah, you know, that it's, a, it's a trip that goes out after breakfast and gets back normally lunchtime. Um, and it's amazing. You can always see the guests who've just got back from the community tour because you can see they, 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 they sit with a bit of reflection. They, they sit with a, an appreciation of, of their environment. Um, but also, I think I've not heard of anybody who's gone out to the community who has not just appreciated the, the warmth and friendliness and welcome that they, that they received out there. And again, that ties back into if people would like to get involved, you know, we've set up the Sabi Sabi Foundation. We, as I said, we work closely with the community elders and, um, you know, the team of leaders there. And rather than everybody supplying books as an example, we might go to Clarence and he'll come back to us and say, look, at the moment we've got enough books, but we really need blankets. We really need, um, you know, hygiene for, for, you know, young ladies at school, those kind of things, things that often are not really thought of. Right. Um, so that we make sure that whatever is, whatever is donated is in fact what is needed right now. That's great. That's a wonderful practice you have. And, and I really enjoyed it when we went out there and did the, exactly what you're talking about. Let's just talk about um, protocols with the COVID situation. <laughs> and how, how Sabi Sabi has introduced them. I know, well, I'm a member of the World Travel and Tourism Council, the WTTC, and I know that just recently Sabi Sabi Game Reserves following our safe travel protocols, for which we thank you. What changes did you have to make, if any, to fit into those protocols? I'm, I'm glad you dropped in there, if any, because surprisingly, we, we, open, we, we operate in open air restaurants we, we, we operate in natural social distancing environment. No suite is closer than 20 meters from the other suite. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of things that are really already in the bush count towards what are the requirements for, you know, a, a safe operational uh, protocol. We immediately work closely with a medical professional. You know, we, we thought let's, let's tackle this head on. Um, let's first understand what it is we're dealing with. Um, and we obviously knew of existing protocol and that's what we'd be working towards. But being in a, in a bush environment, we wanted to go about it responsibly. You know, we wanted this to be a sustainable approach to, to protocol. No one wants to go out on safari and see housekeeping walking around in hazmat suits, doing deep cleans in suites and spraying the whole world and killing every bit of environments around there. So we rather took the approach of, as a small example, as you check out of your sweep, suite, we'll actually shut that suite for 72 hours. And medical facts has basically told us that whatever 
you know, COVID germs were in there, would be dead by that stage. They actually reckon 48 hours. We've gone one step further, and then we go in and we do a deep clean, but using chemical chemicals that are accepted um, due to protocol, but also, um, you know, sustainable for the environment. That way we can always offer guests the, the, the confidence and their knowledge that when they check in, their suites are cleaned. No one has just checked out. The last person to be in that suite was definitely 72 hours and longer prior to their arrival. Um, I think our, our biggest challenge, Ian, has probably been the PPEs. You know, I think in Africa, we've always taken great pride in our warmth and hospitalities and the smiles of the African people has always been a, a huge welcome and I think a sense of comfort to a lot of people. Now suddenly you've got staff welcoming people with this lovely, beautiful, deep Shangan voice or, um, you know, eyes are smiling, but you can't see anything because of their masks. But that is something that we, that we are quite sticky with in the sense of staff need to wear their PPEs purely because of the um, protocol that we adhere to. But for a guest experience, we are trying to imitate a pre-COVID environment as much as possible. We want people to still walk into the lodges and know I'm on safari, I'm in the bush, I'm in safe hands. And talking about safe hands, we took a step further and we actually employed a full-time nurse um, I was getting a lot of questions about what happens if I fall ill when I'm at Sabi Sabi? What happens if I start showing symptoms while I'm at Sabi Sabi? So we basically employed a full-time clinician. She <clears throat> lives on site and she would take over immediately. And with her medical um, you know, experience and uh, qualifications, she'll take control of the situation and you know, make calls whether um, the guest should go for testing at a hospital or is this something that they can do locally? And then obviously we've got quarantine facilities on site. Um, but I think the bottom, bottom line, and I think the main thing to, to realize is WTTC's protocol is actually very, very strict, very, very strenuous. It's not easy to get it. Um, and with all the versions that we put together, we ticked all the boxes. So from a guest listening to this, wanting to travel, you're in safe hands when you come to South Africa because we've used WTTC's protocol as our eat safe, travel safe, internal branding, which is South African and Tourism Business Council of South Africa's um, accreditation for protocol. Um, and most companies who wish to operate post COVID need to adhere to this. So it's not a case of me telling you, come to Africa, this is safe. I'm telling you that, but also with the backing of WTTC's protocol, which is uh, obviously accepted worldwide. You know, it's great. And we're getting more and more acceptance uh, around the world for all the protocols. And there's several different protocols for adventure, for cruising, for, for tour operating, for car rentals, etc. And it's all available on their website. Just a quick... Um, mention of, of the cons conservation activities. To me, conservation goes hand in hand with any African lodge and every, every lodge does it, does a great job and, and does it slightly differently. Um, while in your lockdown period, how did you engage with the animals? And did you notice any different behaviors from them with less human interaction or less vehicles going out there? Or, or did you keep the vehicles going out there? Um, so Ian, firstly, as we decided to to close our lodge, which is the 22nd of March, before lockdown actually, 
we could we could start seeing the writing on the wall. We wanted to get our staff home and safe. Um, and at this time, we kept back a team of about 18. And these are the management couples who stayed behind and each had to look after their lodge. And we basically went into caretaker mode. Um, and from day one, as that lodge was shut, we kept pool maintenance, garden maintenance, thatching maintenance. Um, we went through fire seasons, so we had to do controlled burns. Now, I mean, these are controlled burns that a team of 100 normally do. You had about 10 guys out there doing this to spread out over a, sh a longer period of time. And then also, we kept our anti-poaching units on site and obviously did not you know, sacrifice any form of expense there. So protection of wildlife continued. Then part of that team of 18, we kept behind a team of six, which were rangers. And their aim was to every morning still go out on safari at 6 a.m. or 5.30, depending on what time of the year, winter it was six. Um, and use the safari experience to firstly photograph wildlife, being wildlife, and sharing this with the global community, people that are listening to this podcast right now, just to keep as a reminder of what's happening in Africa right now as we speak. You know, the bush is not changing. The other aim behind the safaris going out was just to keep that vehicle presence um, and make sure that, you know, animals don't go through a long period of time with, with actually not seeing us around because our safari etiquette that I mentioned earlier is all about how we treat animals when we do interact with them. We don't do any live physical interaction but obviously when we do come across animals how we respect them and how we treat them is going to determine how they accept us the next time they see us come around and our approach has always been to never allow them to associate our presence with stress so again during lockdown the vehicles would move into a herd of elephant we had quite a few packs of wild dog we had cheetah we had a phenomenal lion interaction um, leopard with cubs the vehicles will still observe from a distance um, and move around the sighting as if we had guests on board. And I must say, I was one of those people that were thinking, you know, the bush is going to take over and animals are going to, you know, control the world. And um, we actually saw no change purely because animals have been treated with respect, even with guests in camp. So, because of that safari etiquette, because of that respect and the way wildlife were treated before lockdown, now interacting with wildlife with no guests around, with less vehicles around, we actually noticed no change in behavior. Um, it's always been a, a huge priority for us to make sure that we never cross that line to actually, um, you know, um, get in some kind of reaction from wildlife, which means that they've actually noticed our presence. Well, that's a testament to how you do handle the whole business before COVID and, and how you look after the animals. And it leads into my last question about um, any sort of uplifting stories of community and almost that last one was an uplifting story of community that has a positive impact during the lockdown period uh, with the people that stayed along and with the, the villagers that are close by. Uh, whatever, what else happened down there with them? Um. Yeah, and obviously the team that stayed behind have been on the reserve since middle March. They've not left. And Sabi Sabi is still a COVID-free bubble. Um, 
this is also a team who every Sunday would get together and have this long table out in the lawn and basically have a lunch like one big family. Um, they shared many challenges together. They shared many a magical moments out in the bush together. I mean, you can imagine being in the bush at a luxury lodge with no guests around. You know, it's just something that no one else is really going to ever experience in their lives. But at the same time, you know, part of our company's um, mission statement is we care. And we don't just care for the environment that we operate in. And we don't just care about <clears throat> the guests that walk through our doors. The big thing is we care for each other. And from day one, we, we, we set out to everybody gets X amount of names to call and everybody was calling each other from, <clears throat> excuse me, from directors to chambermaids to um, trackers to gardeners to management, everyone was chatting to each other. And, you know, next thing you know, our five week lockdown got extended, got extended and six months down the line, you know, people haven't seen each other. This is a family that has normally lived together closely. Now suddenly haven't seen each other over this time. And it was just great in that time to, you know, be part of the birth of Clarence's young son. Um, something that I probably would not have been, not being physically part, but you know, the, the sharing the joys of the baby pictures. Um, Ronnie, our, our um, assistant manager at Salati Camp, he also became a father during this time. Um, you know, at the same time, we, we had some staff lose family members and just being able to share with each other the, the highs and the lows brought us all together. Um, at the same time, too, we were very fortunate to be part of the Suavana's um, remote workers, um, you know, meal packs and be part of the assistance that they required for us to actually get out and get active in the community and help put together, you know, food packs for, for them and their, their vulnerable families. But I think the, the main thing for us is just this has shown how strong our community is. It's shown how strong our family is. And I must say, Ian, also just kudos to you. I don't know if you even know this, but um, Anne, Donna, Kat, your team have been very much the same. You know, you, you guys have got a strong sense of family there. And, and your team have been checking in with us also. And likewise, you know, there's, there's, there's quick WhatsApps. How are you guys doing? Checking in. Are you guys all good? And I think that's been, to me, one of the most amazing things about this really, really challenging time for us as tourism industry is just our friendships, our relationships. Um, the, the strength of that has come out. And um, it's, it's, it's something that we, we're always going to look back at and always appreciate. Um, and uh, obviously, as we move towards the end of the this challenging time and towards the light at the end of this long tunnel, you know, those are the relationships that will, will continue to strengthen. Well, friendships will endure and, and that's uh, typical of what's going to happen. And, and we have been reaching out as, as you have and, and being a family operated company, the same as you, uh, it's easy to do that because everyone believes in that sort of principle. So listen, Jacques, I really appreciated the time you spent with me today and finding out more about Sabi Sabi for our listeners. And also very, very happy that you've adopted the protocols with WTTC and that the animals have been well looked after and always will be looked after. And more importantly, 
your team, your family is, is looked after very well and, and they'll be there to look after our clients. So we'll look forward to sending more and more clients. I'll look forward to coming there myself and, and having another gin and tonic with you and, and enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the African bushes. I love it so much. Um, I'm missing it terribly. And as soon as those borders open, um, I'll be on a plane. So thank you very much, Jacques. Thanks, Ian, and thanks for the opportunity. And uh, thanks to, to everybody at Swain. Um, I've missed seeing you guys this year and uh, we'll make up for it uh, when next we do get together. Okay, mate. See you later. Bye. Right. Cheers, Bye-bye.